stand with OnX. That's a new personal best bike here. Now here's your host, Brett Amundsen. All right, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here or by watching this on Facebook, YouTube, or downloading the podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts or, or watch this or figure out how to get this show uh, anywhere at sportingjournalradio.com. That's Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart over there. How you guys doing? Hey, hey good to be back home. Doing good. It was uh, kind of a crazy last week. We've all, we were all on the road chasing turkeys around. We're going to tell you how we did. We're going to show you some videos. We're going to show you some pictures. Some people were successful. Some people not quite as successful. And just some wild and crazy stories. Uh, I went on the road for eight days with Corey Loeffler from the DRC Call Company. And uh, Corey is going to join us. And uh, he and and I are going to recap our trip down south. Uh, we met a few interesting people along the way. One of them is Parsifal Smith, and you're not going to believe you're not going to believe this story. We've got an interview with Parsifal coming up in just a little bit. This is him. We were hunting some public land, and all of a sudden I looked down, and I happened to, takes me a second to focus the camera here, but I caught some movement. I'm like, there's a guy walking into the public land. So I just like to know when there's other hunters around on public land. This is slow-mo, so it's not like he's walking. He's just walking real slow. No, I got the camera in slow-mo. But here's this guy walking through, and I'm trying to figure out, I'm looking through the binoculars, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm looking at, and it looks like a guy with a longbow. So we talked to Parsifal about that coming up uh, later in the show and get to hear his story. He's an interesting guy. Uh, and I'm glad he joined us for the show this week. Uh, Joe Henry will come on to talk about uh, Lake of the Woods for the opener, rainy river fishing conditions right now. And then also he went to the, the Minfish What's it? The first annual Minfish Summit or State of... They had a big meeting. Yeah, they had a name for it. Fishing Summit here in Minnesota. Uh, great idea. And they had Governor Walls there. They had Commissioner Stroman there. Uh, they had the new executive director for Explore Minnesota Tourism. A number of other uh, ranking officials from the DNR and, and, the, and Minnesota politics, as well as uh, some big names in the fishing industry. Ron Scher, of course, was there asking some tough questions and then some media, too. Should some more media have been invited? We'll, we'll discuss that just a little bit. Um, but either way, it was, it was a good thing that it happened, and we need to make sure that fishing remains a priority in this state and it remains a priority for the funding and our tax dollars and the direction that this state goes from our political leaders fishing needs to remain a priority and that's uh, one of the goals of men fish and what they're hoping to do so we'll dig into that a little bit more later in the show and we'll also have eric osberg to give us a uh, fishing report from Otter Tail Lakes Country. Uh, Dan, who are the sponsors this week? Yeah, this week's show is brought to us by Haybell Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. Plan a trip to Devil's Lake at haybellheights.com. Otter Tail Lakes Country, find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism, Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this summer at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Camp Grayling, catch the Grand Slam, Lake Trout Pike, Grayling and Walleye, fish Camp Grayling in Saskatchewan this summer. On X, know where you stand with On X. Mid-migration outfitters come hunt waterfowl out of heated 10-man pits and comfortable blinds. Learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com and Prairie Sportsman. The new season is underway. Watch episodes on the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for local airtimes. 
I went up north and, and hunted with Corey Loeffler last year for turkeys, and uh, also Lucas Carlos and Steve, Steve Nonspace were with us as well. And uh, how did we do? Well, you can find out on a new episode of Prairie Sportsman coming That's up. That's a picture of David. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, show you how we did. There's Corey calling in a turkey in the new Equinox suit. That was top secret last year. In fact, I couldn't even show that picture until uh, this year. And you'll get to see how we did hunting out of that new gear uh, on the the new episode. It's the last episode of the season for Prairie Sportsman coming up Sunday night at 7.30 on Pioneer PBS or watch for it on your local PBS station or watch it on the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. On the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel, you can see a brand new video with Jeff Gustafson. I got to jump in the boat with Gussie. We did some fishing for big bass. He broke down uh, what rods he uses, what reels he uses. He's got some G. Loomis rods, some Shimano reels, uh, what baits he was using, how he punches mats, how he catches big bass, what line he uses for what situations. And then he's got a secret weapon in the boat. And you could say it's his, it's money for fishing, you could say. That's a little teaser for you. <laughs> Watch that video now on the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel. Also, uh, obviously, we've had a lot of water up north, uh, the Red River, having some issues. Uh, Cody Thompson sent us these pictures of flooding uh, north of Grand Forks, between Grand Forks and Pembina, I suppose, or Grand Forks and uh, the Canadian border, the Red River just overtaking. You know, you, uh, you, I've seen pictures like these before, I've seen some videos along the highway back in... Um, how what was it was it 11 was the last time they had a big major flood up there we've maybe it's happened since then but i know when i lived in fargo uh, between 2000 and 2012 we had uh three or four big floods where you would see pictures like this up along the red river especially when you get north of grand forks and uh things start to flood out there and dan you were saying the other day there were some warnings about some dam failures up yeah there. the dam i can't remember the name of it um it's the one up by Pemina. They're worried about it rupturing, and so they're keeping an eye on that. They're dropping like one-ton sandbags. Or the National Guard's bringing uh, in Blackhawks to do this. Um, yeah, it's kind of a wicked deal. There's water. You see pictures, satellite images. There's water everywhere up there, and they're saying uh, it could be the second largest crust ever in history. And if we get more weather, who knows? It could be the largest. So well, and in that, the time of this recording, that's the latest. Maybe some things have changed right. uh, by now, but hopefully, hopefully everyone and their their homes are okay up there along the Red River. Well, I've been down south where it's been real dry. In fact, real dry. And then we turkey hunted. They got three inches of rain in a lot of these areas where we were turkey hunting real quick. In fact, we got out. I was hunting with Corey Loeffler down south, and it was this big epic trip. We filmed it. We were using the brand new Sika Equinox turkey gear that is uh, has baked in insect shield to protect you against ticks and also mosquitoes. The, the, the thread is woven so tightly that mosquitoes cannot bite you through. It's thin material, but mosquitoes can't get through it. Need That's that for sweet. fishing. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, I did not want to take it off because Joe Harris from Blind Spot Outdoors was with us. He makes floating duck blinds, some really cool stuff. He had his dog, June, with us, and she would stay in the truck when we'd turkey hunt. And then when we'd get back to the truck, he'd let her out and let her run a little bit, get some exercise. And uh, she'd always come back to the truck covered in ticks. And we hunted hard for eight days in this Equinox gear, crawling, kneeling, sitting, walking, Zero ticks that we had on us. Unreal. 
Uh, I was so excited about it. I, you know, I slept in it a couple of times because we camped too. So there were a couple of nights where I was kind of sleeping. Uh, I'm not going to say out in the elements, but I was sleeping in, in vehicles. We slept in a tent. Uh, a lot of times I just didn't want to take the gear off because there was there were definitely ticks around. In fact, there was a Lone Star tick. Really? They had the Lone Star ticks down there, which are which look like our big brown wood ticks, but they just have a single white dot in the back of them. And that's the one where if they infect you, they can give you the the red meat allergy. I can't remember what it's called, but you will not be eating steaks maybe ever again. And that, I mean, Lyme disease scares the crap out of me, but so does not being able to eat steaks. So uh, I was freaked out about that. We had planned on hunting four states and uh, we ended up hunting two. The first state we were gonna go to was Kansas and we we're gonna meet up with the guy down there. He ended up having COVID. So we detoured and spent some time on public land in Nebraska and got to hunt some public and private in Missouri. And uh, we got to hunt some private too in Nebraska. We knocked on a lot of doors and you're gonna be able to see the whole thing coming up in, uh, in a video and you can watch our Instagram stories too for some more details about how our trip went down. We also brought uh, a 410 and some Boss 4 or 10 loads and uh, they knock some birds down so you'll be able to learn more about that coming up and uh, I know we were planning on meeting you guys in South Dakota we just ran out of time because we were just struggling to fill all the tags we had so we just spent some extra time down there uh, but David you had a good time in South Dakota yeah yeah it was a great time got one with my bow so first hunt first hunt of the year and was it but, technically the first hunt I mean wow well, first real hunt first maybe? real hunt yeah <laughs> The backyard didn't really count. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't see any in the backyard. No. Is that now? Is that did that have anything to do with the night before? No, it had everything to do with the weather. It was oh, pouring it was rain. Yeah, it was morning. pouring rain. So we just didn't. We looked at the forecast and yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, bit. and, <laughs> and uh, went out the next afternoon or that afternoon. Yeah, so. that night. And you guys saw a few birds on that, right? On that hunt. Yeah, we actually found it that morning. We went and scouted and knocked on some doors and got on them and we were able to get it done and dan it was two guys in a ground blind right because dan you were filming yeah. let me tell you i tried to film some run and gun stuff on this trip i'm jealous of you being able to film <laughs> on a, gro a ground blind because it's you know, almost impossible to film turkeys running and gunning it's hard well it yeah. got a little tight in there between the tripod two bows uh two guys gear another camera and by the time we were done with this whole situation it was it was kind of a mess i ended up on my that's i'm not gonna say that <laughs> 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 um, ended up with arrows out in the middle of the, the corn. We had birds going every which direction. It was a little bit of chaos. Yeah. Camera tripods getting passed back and forth. Got and chaotic there for a couple minutes. Yeah, a couple minutes and ended up with uh, a dead turkey. All right. So. And you just put decoys out, right? You didn't do any calling? or uh, Yeah, zero calling. Zero calling. Interesting. Didn't even take them out of the case. <laughs> so what did you put up for decoys? And what did the birds see them right away and come running in? Or what did, how did um, it go? I did a jake and two hens. And the birds came out on the other side of the field. And they milled around feeding and picking corn and stuff. And they didn't. I don't know if they saw us. They could see us from the other side of the field, but they didn't really react until they were about 60, 80 yards, and then they come running in Did real they? fast. I was looking at some geese in the field, checking for bands, not really paying much attention because they weren't really <laughs> doing much. And right. then 
all of a sudden they were in the decoys. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got, I'm filming these two turkeys and David's out, you know, do, looking like real intently and thinking, that way. <laughs> thinking he's seen them. I'm filming the turkeys, looking, you know, making sure they're in focus. They're coming, they're coming. David's not moving. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do here, David? And finally he grabs his bow and they're looking at the decoys. Yeah, they're on the decoy. Happening and they lined up and uh, got a good shot on them. Yeah. I did not. Yeah, you guys could have had a double. We could have, but, uh, you know, I let David take the first shot, got it on film. The one ran off, and then it came back to look at the dead turkey. That was at about 40 yards, and that's that's a long shot on a turkey, but I I took it, and I missed low, and that's, you know, with a shotgun, yeah, we probably would have had that bird, but you can't get a shotgun as a non-resident where we were, so the bow was what we had, and it's just that's the way it goes. Yeah. So good times, though. All right, and you got it on film. We're going to have a video about that. Yep, you betcha. That'll be out. Uh, I'm not going to promise any dates, but it'll be out in the near future. Sure, we got a lot to do. <laughs> We're busy right now. <laughs> we got a lot to get to, but we'll have that stuff for you on the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe and check it out. All right, uh, when we come back, who are we going to have next? We're going to have Corey Loeffler. Corey Loeffler, and then Parsifal after that. Parsifal Smith and uh, also Joe Henry and Eric Osberg all on the way. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm gonna fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. That was another, uh... Another wild trip, Corey. Yeah, we're pretty famous for that. <laughs> Zero plans, just hit the road and go where the wind blows us. So when you told me, you called me and said, hey, I want to do this turkey trip, and I want to do it in like a, like the next week or two, I said, you're crazy. I said, there's no way I can go. And then uh, I want to thank Dan, because without him helping out back home, I wouldn't have been able to go. But uh, a week later, we were on the road headed south. Yep. The plan was like four states probably, and to try to kill something like 12 turkeys. <laughs> yep. And that's pretty ambitious goal. Yeah, it was definitely an ambitious goal. I, I mean, I try to shoot for the moon doing something like this, and we, we didn't shoot our 12 turkeys, but wasn't for the lack of effort, that's for sure. Lots of effort. Well, we ran into a problem right away when the guy we were gonna meet up with in Kansas had COVID. Yeah, COVID detoured us from Kansas over to Missouri right away. So that that was kind of where one state went. And uh, well, we started in Nebraska, we ended up- Yeah, did start in Nebraska. Going straight to Nebraska. Yep, um, went there kind of as a prelim scout hunt for a day, look this east part of the state over, and um, we didn't find much in Nebraska. No, it, it was tough, but it was a nice scouting mission at least, because we figured we'd probably end up there after Missouri anyway. Yeah, right. So we got to, I mean, I've never hunted turkeys in Nebraska, I had nowhere to go. It was all DIY stuff between public land, or, or we tried to knock on a few doors, and you know, it's it's uh, it's hard to get on private land, especially for turkeys in those states. I think they get they get asked a lot in some of those places. Yeah, absolutely. We kind of focused a lot of effort down that early part of the trip down that southeastern part of the state, 
And I tell you what, we're driving around not seeing hardly any turkeys or hearing any turkeys at all. We were seeing raccoons so all raccoons. over the place. In every field, out during the daylight, in cornfields, chowing down. Um, and when we were, would find a couple turkeys here or there, try to get permission from the landowners, the landowners would say, you know, for the last three or four years, that turkey population's really gone downhill. We don't hardly see any of them anymore. And ground nest predators would be the culprit to that, in my opinion. I've never seen that many raccoons in one area before. And, uh, to, you know, go to an area where there's supposed to be a lot of turkeys and there's hardly any at all, uh, that kind of, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory that uh, the, the area, if I can kind of paint the picture a little bit, it's heavily farmed, heavy agriculture area with a lot of rolling hills, a lot of terraces, and then a lot of draws in those fields. The draws would have a creek running through them or a ditch, and then they would be wooded or grass along some of the creeks. And basically from a hen's perspective, that's really the only place to nest is in around those draws someplace and that's where the coons live as well during the day and then the coons are traveling up and down those draws so basically to have those eggs sit there for i mean if the hen were to lay an egg and wait till the egg hatches and then wait for that little chick to get big enough to fly up to even just the first limb you're talking a time frame of like six weeks that that little either egg or little tiny chick is on is on the ground six weeks of exposure to all types of ground nest predators it's just way too much exposure and i'm fairly confident that there's no turkeys around there to you know to really speak of and no jakes but we didn't see any jakes there's just no young turkeys and uh, they're just getting gobbled up before they can hatch or, or just right after they've hatched, you know, a little chicken nugget for a, for a raccoon or, or coyote, possums, skunks. So I would say if I lived or hunted a lot in that area or all of Nebraska, I would have uh, an extensive uh, raccoon trap line yes. and I would maintain the heck out of that thing. I'd be curious what what would cause, you know, if the raccoon population has always been that strong and maybe there was just a couple years of bad hatches with turkeys and the, those bad hatches were com compounded by the large population of uh, ground nest predators and that's what's caused a, you know an even bigger decline in turkey numbers or if there's been an increase in predators like that uh, I learned you know I didn't do a lot of turkey hunting growing up and there was a couple reasons for that we my family didn't turkey hunt a whole lot uh, I, I'll be honest one of the reasons I didn't turkey hunt is because I'd always turn on outdoor television sportsman channel or whatever and I'd, I'd look for waterfall shows and it would just be turkey hunting turkey hunting turkey oh but whitetail bow hunting okay turkey hunting turkey hunting and i got so sick of watching turkey hunting shows and i was trying to find a, a waterfowl show that i would get oh, mad there's a deer there, there's a deer a couple deer right there and then uh i i turkey i got into turkey hunting i saw the appeal to it in the first year i went turkey hunting I sat on a nest of uh, a, wood, a, a wood tick nest, and I had wood ticks everywhere, and I'm freaked out by Lyme disease. So 
and then where I live in western Minnesota, the turkey population isn't doing as good, or we just don't have a good enough habitat for it, whatever whatever the case may be. The turkeys we have get hunted pretty hard, and it's hard to get on ground. So I just haven't done it much. So that, that was one thing that this trip taught me was just a lot about turkey behavior and, and obviously how to be a better turkey hunter, but just a, a little bit about where they live, how they act, how they interact with each other, and how they interact with other species. Mm -hmm. So it's been half a mile. Turn left onto 150th Street. The trip is almost over. We're almost there. Uh, it's been eight days. We've been on the road, and we've pretty much hunted every single day. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to see how many miles we have walked. I bet you it's a solid 40 Turn left per person. It's not even more than that because it's yeah for sure been over five miles a day. We put on a lot of miles in uh, in a lot of really cool country. And I hadn't been in that part of Missouri before, and I hadn't met Joe Harris before. He's a pretty, pretty good guy. Yeah, he's awesome. He opened up his all of his turkey connections for us. It was a great time running the woods with him and seeing um, a, some different styles and different techniques of turkey hunting. He's got a pretty cool business where he builds floating blinds for waterfowl hunters, which I'm gonna have to put one of those in my backyard. Absolutely, it's, it's everyone needs one. Blind spot outdoors. It's uh, some pretty cool stuff. We went on, now I'm not gonna say it's one of my most memorable turkey hunts because I only have a handful of turkey hunts in, in total, but I'm gonna say it was. it's gonna be one of my more memorable hunts of anything, uh, probably in a thunderstorm. Yeah, <laughs> that got pretty Western. <laughs> pretty quick <laughs> yeah it, it did how have you ever hunted uh a lot of people ask how do you hunt turkeys in in the rain and what do you tell them when they when they ask you that um probably go home wait for it to quit <laughs> raining and then get them right after the rain they should be fired up if the sun comes out but we fortunately had a bunch of thunder and lightning close by and uh so the turkeys were gobble every time it would thunder. So we knew where the turkeys were at. And for the most part, they were pretty quiet other than that thunderstorm coming through. So it actually worked out to our advantage. We were able to locate a couple birds and, and put a pr very interesting stalk and sneak on uh, a group of unsuspecting turkeys along that creek. If I remember right, we were, we were actually gonna take a break, I think, to avoid the rain and then we were sitting there in the field talking or whatever, and then we closed a, a truck door. Yep. And we heard a gobble. We all looked at each other and like, well, here we go. Let's do it. And it started pouring, and the next thing you know, we were, we were sneaking through that creek, and the water was coming up in the creek, the current was picking up, and at one point we were walking through <laughs> like waist-deep waist water. Waist-deep, yeah. Man, and we were just par like paralleling those birds for a little while. Yep but we didn't get them. It was close. It was real close. But I was the, I had filled the tag. So I was the cameraman and I was staying back a little ways. Brett and Joe were creeping forward while they went left, the turkeys went right. I, with the camera, was actually the closest to the turkeys and had them two toms in range while these guys were about 80 yards away from them and didn't see them. So lo and behold, um, 
cameras are just bad luck most of the time. There was there was a recurring theme along every day of this trip, all eight days, and that was Corey should have a gun in his hands at all, at all times. <laughs> I, I think I could pretty much end world hunger if I did that. Like a one-man wrecking Man. ball in the natural resources of... <laughs> God dang. What, so what I learned the most, though, while I was in Missouri, uh, and this may be the most important aspect to this trip, is... Joe had his his lab with uh, June, and he'd let her get out and run a little bit. When we'd be done turkey hunting, getting ready to drive to the next spot, he'd let her run out and get some exercise he had her with. And she'd come back to the truck covered in ticks. And we wore the sickest stuff with uh, the insect guard. Yep, insect Insect guard. Yeah, the Equinox guard hoodie and pants that has a chemical baked into the fabric and it has a couple other um, tick preventatives worked into the clothing. So basically this stuff is as anti-tick and anti-mosquito as you can get. And we put it to the test with all those miles that we walked in tick country, tick habitat, and uh, did not have a single one on us the whole time. Not one in eight days of hunting hard, Mm -hmm. crawling, sitting, kneeling, walking. Uh, and like I said, every time that dog was outside, she had ticks all over her. Yeah. So it's amazing. It, like, hands down, I can't believe it because ticks freaked me out. And down there, I saw my first Lone Star tick. And that's a little one. It looked like our wood ticks up north, only just a white dot in the middle of the back. And those are the ones that mean you'll never eat a steak again in your life. So like Lyme disease freaks me out, but not being able to red meat really freaks me out yeah the red meat allergy that you can get from that lone star tick not good um i know someone that had that for a while uh big life changes if you have to cut red meat out of your diet completely so uh scares the heck out of me that's for sure well we got to spend a few days at joe's uh joe thank you very much by the way (laughs) Corey's like yeah we're gonna go on this trip we're going to hit four states. We're going to shoot a bunch of turkeys. I'm going to bring a tent. We'll just camp the whole time. So I'm all prepared for sleeping outside in a tent this whole trip. And uh, we get to Joe's. He had, he had a nice place for us. Yeah, I had a giant fifth-wheel <laughs> camper in a shed for us. Um, here you go. Here's your guys' turkey camp. Like, well, this couldn't have worked out any better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, of course, we ate really well. Corey brought all kinds of stuff for us to eat and cooked all the time. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I hunt so I can go hunting some more. So that's what we ate was all the stuff that I had shot and processed in previous hunting trips. So that's why I hunt is just so I can keep hunting and keep <laughs> so eating while I'm hunting. <laughs> we ate snow goose, uh, mallard, uh, salmon, salmon, whitetail, whitetail, Canada goose, goose. I don't um, think we ate any of the turkey. We did not. We didn't cook up any of the turkey. <laughs> saving that, that for turkey pot pie, my wife's specialty. It's saving that for the next hunting trip. Maybe. The next hunting trip, absolutely. So then we we spent a couple of days in Missouri and then decided to go back to Nebraska and hunted hunted some of uh, just some really cool country in Nebraska. Oh, Went to a completely different part. Was... Actually, we started. We started back in the southeast again, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Started back there and <laughs> struggled, struggled, struggled. You know, uh, you know why we went back there though? Because we saw those two toms when we were there the first time. Couldn't get on the land, and it was probably it would have been the easiest two turkeys. Slam dunk. 
the whole trip. Tags would have been filled. We sat there minutes. staring at them at about 25 yards away uh, while we were in the car trying to get permission and couldn't get permission on them. And then left the state. Three days later, you got permission <laughs> over the phone. Call, finally tracked down the landowner. He said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Which if you'd have said that three days earlier, we would have been golden. So we go back there, tried to hunt them, mm-hmm. and spent more time searching for oil. Yeah, that got, I mean, that took a pretty interesting turn <laughs> really fast because this guy that the neighboring landowner saw us drive by with out-of-state plates, so he sees us drive by, and we heard that he was some anti-hunter or whatever, and he had a pretty pretty interesting farmyard um, with, like, a lifetime of collection of stuff everywhere, so we knew he's a little bit of a goofy dude he comes whipping out of the driveway with some crusty old minivan and tracks us down because we were slow rolling by his property trying to find these two toms we just needed to spot them and locate them while he tracks us down and uh what are you guys doing around here oh we're just you know we're just looking for some turkeys are you looking for oil uh, no, not, we're not looking for oil, nope. I guess. Well, do you want to see some? I got oil on this property down here. It's coming out of the ground. It's coming out of the ground. Do you guys know anyone that is in the <laughs> oil industry? You want to come take a look at it? Or like, well, if we go walking through there and the turkeys happen to be there, well, then we're probably looking for oil. Then we'll probably bump the turkeys down to the land that we can hunt. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's go walk this guy's land with him and look for turkeys. Well, we were looking for turkeys. He was yeah. showing us all the oil. All the oil. I mean, he was he was a nice guy. It was just it took two or three hours. <laughs> yeah, like all day. <laughs> day. Oh my gosh. To find oil. Uh, so if you're in the oil business, he said he'd give us some money if if they start <laughs> drilling oil. If you guys give me an oil guy to come drill here, I'll give you some money. So if you drill for oil, let let us know. We got that going for us. But the most interesting part of the trip had to be when uh, it was one of the last days of the trip. And we split up on this public piece of property. And all of a sudden, I catch some movement. I'm sitting up on this high hill. I catch some movement. I glass. And I see he's kind of a ways off. So I can't really tell what I'm looking at. And I look. That's not what I just saw. I look again, and it's a guy running dogs with a longbow, and it looks like he just has a big, long overcoat on. I can't figure out what I'm looking at, like what's going on here. And so I text Corey, and I'm like, hey, there's there's another hunter here. Uh, he's got dogs and a longbow. I was like, are you sure it's not a walking <laughs> stick? Is he just out walking his dogs? And he's like, I don't know. He wasn't carrying it like a walking stick. He was kind of carrying it like a longbow. like a longbow to me. And so when we get done hunting that day, he, we're parked in the same lot. He comes back in and walks up. And sure enough, here comes this guy with a longbow and uh, two dogs and a kilt. A kilt and lots of wool and a backpack. Well, when you say lots of wool, I mean, well, yeah, there was lots of wool, but there lots. was one section of the body that didn't, <laughs> didn't have <laughs> uh, anything on it. Uh, so we ended up talking to him. He was a he was a really interesting guy. He was out there doing some research too. He's a master naturalist. His name was uh, Parsifal, and he's actually going to be on the show. We yeah. actually sat there and interviewed him and talked to him. And I asked him a question about wearing a kilt with nothing underneath it while you're deer hunting, uh, turkey hunting, whatever, walking through the woods. And uh, uh, well, I'll just wait for him to answer that question 
for you because you got to be a little bit <laughs> you got to be you, a little careful. You know, Percival isn't trespassing because he's not going to climb. He's not going <laughs> to. He's not going to cross any barbed wire fences <laughs> with a guilt on. Man. Oh. Well. Hey, Brett. Have you ever seen anyone? Wearing a kilt, shooting a longbow, hunting turkeys with two dogs. Well, as a matter of fact, Corey Laughley, yes, I have. Uh, you guys are going to want to catch this. <laughs> Stay tuned. We got something for you. You know, one really cool thing about how we found spots to hunt in Corey was what you did as we were driving down. You said, hey, can we, because you, you taught me something, too, about scouting for turkeys. You want to find big, big tracks of woods, you know, t big timber. And you were like, hey, can we do that? with the Onyx app somehow, and you figured it out. Yeah, I turned the, um, it's more deer hunting layers designed probably for deer hunters to find out different types of trees in the area, but I just typed, I just turned on all of the woods and forest layers and then zoomed out a little ways on the map so that only the big tracks of timber showed up in bright red blocks on the map. And then we focused our attention on big tracks of timber and if to go back to the ground nest predator thing um the big track of timber basically just gives the hens more square miles or square footage to nest in that isn't as heavily populated with the ground nest predators they can hide a little bit easier so that's why there was turkeys in those areas it worked out great because we ended up finding some some big pieces. And then we we kind of cross-referenced that with pieces that were public, pieces that were private. We knocked on a couple of doors. We did get some access to land. We got a whole lot of no's. Uh, and that's just, I think, because they get asked. Some of those guys just get asked constantly. I think, didn't somebody say they get they got asked five times already that week? Or yeah. Something like that. But, um, but it, it definitely was a, a huge help for us. And then... You shot uh, a couple of turkeys, all with the 410. Yeah, you bet. That last one, tell us about shooting that last one on public land. Well, we had chased this one gobbler in the morning. We actually, I'm pretty sure we heard him the night before, put him to bed. We got in there early that next morning. Um, I We had him close, just right over a ridge, probably within 80 yards of the gun barrel or so. And he was with the hen. He was gobbling like crazy and then got spooked, heard something, and he ended up taking off down the hill. And then I heard him gobble way down in the bottom. And then um, a little while later, saw a turkey up on another knob that with a hen that was the same direction that he was traveling. And I just made a beeline for him. I knew he was going to be up there. So I checked out the Onyx map. I planned a route to there and oh, ran into that crazy school bus that oh, was upside yeah. down in the ditch while I was on my way. I was like, oh, okay, I gotta check this out. Dropped a pin on the school bus, headed back into the woods, up the up the hill. Uh, he had just made it over to the next knob. I kinda, I, I was kinda dog trailing him a little bit and uh, got in pretty close to him, hit the call. He responded to that, saw the decoy, and he just immediately turned around, turned his attention on that decoy, and then just came right back. So he was he was one knob over from me, basically, and turned around and drug that hen with him, and then came up the, came up the hill, just textbook, probably 
hill country nebraska turkey hunt this that big old strutter coming up over the hill and oh man i was excited i got some of it on film and then i had to get to fill and tag so i dropped the phone and camera and uh picked up the 410 and i let him have it at about 12 yards or so and it was it was pretty awesome that's one thing I also learned about running and gunning for turkeys is it's really hard to film it. <laughs> we struggle a little bit with filming filming the, the turkeys uh, when they would come in. Oh, they have just such good eyesight. And if you're not set up in a blind, it's extremely difficult to get the cameraman hid in a place where you mm. can hide this big black colored lens and you know the camera guy's usually the one moving the most and they can pick out the slightest amount of movement from so far away and any one little thing we're hunting public land these birds are extremely pressured we saw a ton of different hunters there so any one little tiny thing that they see wrong with the situation or setup they're just going to turn right around and just head head out the other way and we saw that, that happened a lot that's one of the reasons you probably like turkey hunting isn't it um what the challenge of it the challenge yeah i mean it's just so addicting to go out there and get your butt kicked over and over again and then finally find some success or get really close and uh yeah i just i love the chase i love those birds i love eating them um i love the chase and i love eating them more so than i like shooting them i don't like shooting yeah. them that much but you gotta shoot them if you want to eat them so uh got some turkey pot pie coming up in my near future i'm pretty excited to get home you, cook some of that you like talking to them though too i bet yeah i uh i my favorite part is probably picking fights with hens getting a real vocal hen and picking a fight with her and then like hearing what i would consider swear words coming out of her mouth chewing me out for something and uh that's probably some of my favorite stuff but the hens that we ran into on this trip were very quiet mm -hmm. and couldn't really get a rise out of any of them um so like getting a gobbler to gobble well you could you could honk your car horn you could slam a door you could blow a crane call you could blow an owl hooter you know a bunch of different things to get a a, a response out of a gobbler but those hens when you really get into the down and dirty speaking turkey turkey language to them and you start hearing some of the four letter words coming out of their <laughs> mouth that is some fun stuff yeah well it it was uh another epic trip i call i know you can't just throw that word around but it was it was pretty wild got to see some really cool things meet some interesting people and just spend a spend a week out, outside hunting, yeah which uh, uh w w last question is how what differences did you notice between birds back home in Minnesota versus birds down south? I, um, the gobblers shut up or, or, or quit gobbling really early. Um, this morning, they, there was turkeys in the area and they were almost, almost non-vocal at all. And uh, yesterday they were done gobbling at 6.42 in the morning is about like the last 10 time. minutes after sunrise. Oh, yeah. it's uh, The sun hasn't even hardly came up yet, and they were done. So, yes, I mean, it, it was just constant learning something new, a new thing that you had to do. And yesterday, what we found out is, like, when you hear a gobble, you have to get there as fast as you can, as quiet as you can, without getting detected, and try and get a response out of that bird um otherwise he's just going to quit gobbling so you know chasing public land birds they quit gobbling pretty early you have to make moves fast you have to think on the fly and uh 
Um, I just loved the hill country and up and down the hills, you get down in some of those bottoms and the ravines and you can't hear anything and you get up on top and you can hear gobbles all over. And, um, you know, back home it is flat as a pancake, which has its own, uh, benefits and, and difficulties as well. But I don't know, hunting turkeys on flat ground just definitely isn't as exciting as hunting them in hill country, uh, just because of the, just the, the way you can use the terrain and you're, you have to plan a route with Onyx to get from point A to point B and it might be, you have to walk a mile and a half around them or something like that to get to the spot that you need to get to. But, um, there's always that option, that availability. So I, uh, I, I loved it. Uh, I've only hunted turkeys in, you know, a couple other states. And, uh, this was a bunch of new stuff for me as well. And, uh, learned a whole bunch on the trip and it was a blast. I appreciate you coming with on moment's Dude. notice. And yeah, <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. It was awesome. And we need to plan another one. And somehow we need to work Art Diaz into that one too, because we can, we stop and see him every time we do this. So um, he'll have to be a part of the next one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. So it's not every day that you go turkey hunting and you're sitting up on top of a ridge and you're glassing across looking for turkeys and you see a guy with a bow, <laughs> with a bow and a couple of dogs walking through. I spotted you from up there when you oh, got here you? and came walking out. <laughs> and uh, I, wasn't, I couldn't tell that it was a bow at first, so I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Tell me what you're doing. I'm hunting turkey with a longbow uh, in the wildlife management area. All right. Uh, what's your name, first of all? Parsifal Smith. All right. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. All right. What made you decide to hunt turkeys with a longbow? You know, I've I've been hunting a lot of animals with a lot of different weapons, and the older I've gotten, the more interested I became in. People call them primitive. I, I hunt primarily with flintlocks and longbows. I, it's the simplicity, the challenge, the... I'm not even sure if it's the challenge as much as just the, the kind of purity of it. Hmm, or sure. hearkening back to another time. I don't even know if that's it. I just really enjoy it. It's just a lot of fun. You know, longbow, you can shoot anytime, anywhere. And a flintlock, you get lots of fire and spark. And so it's, it's just a lot of fun. Now, it was a little cool this morning. We camped last night. I think it was 36 degrees, 34 degrees, something like that. Yep. So we were dressed a little bit warmer. At least I was dressed a little bit warmer this morning. Uh, <clears throat> how cold does it get wearing a kilt when you're turkey on? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. If people have the wrong idea, kilts are really warm. This okay. is nice, thick wool, double layered, uh, and it keeps the, the body heat here, but it doesn't let you get... One of the things that I always hated about hiking and, and climbing and hunting was the heat that radiates when you're wearing pants. Oh, sure. And when you got a kilt on, 
I mean, there's a reason all these Scottish guys wear kilts. You can go through the grass and the water and nothing gets tangled up and you got that free flow of air. And uh, of course you always wear your kilt the regimental style, you know, so there's nothing <laughs> under there, nothing to keep the wind from, nothing to keep the breeze oh boy. from blowing. But they like they That's say great. when you're hunting with tree stands with a kilt, uh, <laughs> you're always the last up and the first down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Uh, did you see any turkeys today? I did see turkeys today. I saw three of them down in a, uh, a little bottom and then had a gobbler walk by a tree line when I was sitting on the edge of a, sitting up on a ridge and there was a gobbler walking on the tree line. But I didn't get a shot. No, but you've shot a couple with your longbow. I have shot a couple with my longbow. Tell me about them. Well, just, let's see, there was one here last year or the year before. Uh, down in one of the draws over there, I was listening to the gobbles and I hadn't really, it's only my third year, second, third year hunting turkey. And I'm doing it kind of like I hunt elk out west. If I hear the bugle, I go in the direction. If I hear the gobble, I go after the, the bird. And uh, I heard the bird and it kept gobbling and I kept moving toward it. Um, and it was up on a little ridge and I came out of the woodlands and it was walking with a few hens. And uh, I was able to inch my way up to the ridge where I get a clear shot and, and took the shot and got hmm. it right in the back. There's something about being able to sneak up on an animal like that, isn't there? There is something about stalking animals. It's uh, it's definitely the most rewarding way to hunt. And a lot of times it seems almost like it's accidental. You know, you're moving really slow and sure you jump things, but, but every now and then it just all comes together, you mm -hmm. know, and, and there's nothing better than that feeling where you've been moving slow and deliberate through the woods uh, and, and you get an animal 20, 30 yards away and get a shot. Yeah, that's that's what I love about archery hunting in general. And in, in shotgun hunting for turkeys, you can end up getting pretty close to, to the animals too. But when it comes to say whitetail or other big game, you have to be up close yep. when you're using archery equipment, yep. particularly more primitive style archery equipment. Yep. And, and and I think, I mean, I enjoy Hunting whitetails, I enjoy eating whitetails. Everybody likes to shoot a big buck, but I, it doesn't need to happen. But I think my favorite part is just being that close and seeing animals kind of in their natural movements. Yeah, yeah, and there's a, it's a kind of intimacy. And I think as hunters, you know, that's what we're after. If you, if you just wanted to be in the woods as a, as a tourist, you know, where you're just walking through the woods and enjoying the woods and or any open space or, or wilderness, that's great. You're, you're enjoying the space, but you're not really, you don't really have that deep connection. And as a hunter, the more you seek out that deep connection, it tends to be the more primitive kind of weapon that you use. A, a kind of, a weird kind of intimacy. You know, if you can hunt something with a longbow or a flintlock, you've developed a kind of relationship that you don't get with a rifle. You know, and, and maybe that's why I do it. Uh, it's that, that feeling, it's the reward is, yeah, it's just that, that, that connection to the land mm -hmm. and, and, and doing what you're supposed to do. You know, you're hunting because it's what we're supposed to do. That's right. Uh, you, were, you weren't just hunting out here today though. You were taking some pictures? Taking pictures too, doing some stuff for uh, 
conservation, uh, checking out some of the plants that are growing, trying to identify them, um, noting the trees, looking at what trees are producing, if there's going to be any kind of acorn mm. uh, crop this year. Um, yeah, and saw some flowers that were interesting. And, and a lot of times, you know, you don't know if the plants you're looking at are quote-unquote invasive, you know, and if they're if they're invasive, they're so pervasive now that that they that they're part of it, you know, and they're not going to yeah. get rid of them. But but it'd still be interesting to know what they were. So yeah. Yeah. What yeah. at what point does something invasive become, uh, you know, almost native? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Once it gets there and you can't get it out, then then live with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so what did you find out here today then? Anything I don't know interesting? What it is. I don't know. I think the I've heard it was garlic mustard, hmm. uh, a plant. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Uh, I was looking to see if the mushrooms would come up, of course, being self-interested, seeing if there were any rills <laughs> sure. popping up, you know, but I didn't see any of those. And uh, I went to a few places where I know they tend to grow. Mm. Um, I found a couple trees in a in a bottom, some black walnuts that I didn't know were, were out here, uh, the black walnut trees. And uh, yeah, so yeah. What do you think about the acorns? I don't know, you know, it's been so dry here the last few years that uh, uh, I was concerning. In fact, all through the autumn and the winter when I was in here hunting deer, and I was probably in here two, three days a week, I didn't see any turkey. Hmm. I didn't see any turkey. And usually you'd see turkey all the time. I didn't see any. I didn't see any sign. And then we got a rain, a good rain in here, uh, right before archery turkey season, and I think the first day I went out, there was it was really dry. There was hadn't been any rain, and I didn't see any turkeys. It rained all day the next day, and I went out the day after that, and there were turkeys all over the place. Hmm. So I don't know if that's what brings them in. You know, you can really see where they've been scratching mm -hmm. uh, in the bottoms and on the hillsides, pulling the leaves away. I, in fact, I was parked here in the parking lot and heard a bunch of them scratching over the hill oh. right by the parking lot. So yeah. Uh, we're in Nebraska. We've talked to, we've, we've hunted from the southern part of the state to the northern part of the state, east and west. We've been all over the state. We've heard from a number of people that the population is down in Nebraska. Have you heard that or do you know? I haven't heard that. I, I knew that, that a couple guys that I'd seen here who came from New York said there were a lot of hunters out west. And I've seen some big flocks of birds. I'm not sure is a flock the right name for a turkey. Sure. Big, big groups of turkeys in the ag fields close by here. Uh, and I haven't gone a day out here without seeing turkeys hmm. and hearing gobblers. So it's been good. So at least it's this area's good. got a good population. I, I, think, I think it could be a little less than hmm. a few years ago. And I don't know if that has to do with the drought, hmm. but uh, it's not bad. What else do you hunt other than turkey? Here I hunt deer. Here I hunt deer. You and do squirrels. And you've hunted elk. I've hunted elk. Yep, elk you, and bear out west. You do uh, that in a kilt too. Say that again. Do you do that in a kilt too? I do everything in a kilt. Do you really? Well, I don't do everything in a kilt. <laughs> but, uh, I don't go to work in a kilt. But yeah, I uh, I just I, it's just the most comfortable way to get around. Hmm. I think I, it's really comfortable. It's really flexible. It's uh, you get a good kilt. I mean, you can't buy some costume thing it's got to be a real 
kilt, and it can't where, be. Where do you get a, a real kilt? kilt? Yeah, and when, so, if so, somebody wanted to get one right now, somebody's watching this or listening and saying, "I got to do that. I got to go turkey hunting in a kilt." Where do I? Where does he start? I get my kilts from a company called UT Kilts. Uh, I think he's in Salt Lake, but he's got a lot of different kilts. Uh, you know, you you give the rights. He shows you how to size them and how to order them. You take care of that and uh, you get what you want. There's, I don't know how many different patterns there are because of all the clans, you know, have their own kilt. I have no interest in the, uh, or knowledge of the clans. I know that, that my family, of course, like a lot of Anglo people have come from Britain and, and Scotland and, uh, but, and my wife is Scottish, but um, for me, it's just, if it looks like it'd be good in the woods, then I order a kilt up, and I've, I've had them, and they're good, solid wearing kilts. They last a long time. They're tough. Uh, and wool <laughs> is good because it doesn't hold odor. So this is kind of a delicate question, but it's a, it can be a little dangerous walking through the woods in a kilt. You know what? You don't really appreciate the <laughs> so You knew exactly where I was going yeah, with that. You don't appreciate the dangers of wearing a kilt until you cross a barbed wire fence. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. <laughs> when you start crossing barbed wire fences with a kilt, you're like... I'm really going to think about this before I step over this fence, you know. So. That's funny. But well, I haven't had any accidents yet. Oh, so. well, that's good. Well, it was nice to meet you, yep. and I appreciate the time here. And, uh, again, it's, you know, we, we've run into some interesting people. You run into interesting people when you hunt anyway, but on this trip we've met a, a lot of interesting people. This may top it, though, when you're, when you're walking through the woods and see somebody coming through with a long bone to kill. Tell me who the two dogs are here. So... You got Blue here, who's a healer. Both these dogs came off the Navajo Res. Oh. Come here, Blue. I found him, he was big as a teacup. Someone had dumped him on the side of the road and uh, he was looking pretty scared and lonely. He was about eight weeks old. And so I picked him up and I thought about giving him away and, and just had him for a day. And actually, interestingly, I had an old dog and I had him one day with us and the old dog i came home the next day that afternoon at school while i was teaching i decided you know i was trying to give him away and i thought you know what i'm gonna keep him and i got home that afternoon that evening and the old dog came over to me got in my lap and died oh no hm. the same day i decided to keep him mm. and then the spaniel same thing he followed some kids to school he can't hear anything anymore. <laughs> he followed some kids to school, and uh, he was about four months old. And I took him in. Hey, buddy. Come here. I took. I Camera took shy. In. Yeah, I took him in, and uh, I I had him, and I told the students. One of the students said, "Well, I know whose dog that is." And I said, "Well, they're just going to let it run around. You uh, you tell them I got it. They can come get it for me." And I took him out bear hunting, and he got really lethargic. Hmm. And there's a lot of uh, parvo on the res. Oh, sure. And a lot of people will go to the pet store, see a cute dog, buy it, but not get shots for it. So it was a Saturday. I took him to a vet, waited five hours for the vet. He had parvo. She said, there's two options. For 1000 bucks, we can keep him, 100% recovery. For 400 bucks, we'll hook him up with some IV stuff. You can feed it to him yourself. And he's got about an 80% chance. And I said, mm. well, give me the $400 thing. He's not my dog. So after that weekend and I, he got better, I told that student, I said, if you see the people again, tell them the dog's mine now. 
<laughs> so What's his I've name? I've had him for 12 years. Owen. Owen. Owen and Blue. Very cool. Yeah. Owen and Blue. All right. Well, thanks again, and uh, good luck the rest of your time out here. Thank you. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Now it's time once again to talk to Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism about that big giant walleye factory in northern Minnesota, Lake of the Woods. And Joe, maybe we should start calling it a sturgeon factory as well, too, because of the, the huge increase in popularity of sturgeon fishing over the years. In fact, Jay, I think I just saw Jay Siemens was there catching sturgeon out of a kayak. Is that right? Yeah, boy, tell you, you got a big one. Look at that fish. You know, you got a, a 60 incher, I think, out of a kayak of all things. Wow. How long did it drag him around in the kayak, you think, before, <laughs> before he landed it? I don't know, but I hope he had a passport. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, he does. I'm sure if he was, was he, because he was fishing on the American side, wasn't he? Yeah, no, he was fishing the American Oregon? side. And of course, when you fish up in the Rainy River, of course, you know, the, 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 the lion's close, but quite honestly, uh, yeah, no, I won't get into that. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I know that when people have caught uh, st uh, sturgeon in a kayak before, they do get uh, drug around a little bit. And it's kind of interesting, you know, and, you know, but, you know, that, that happens with a regular boat sometimes, too. If a walleye angler and light tackle hooks into a sturgeon, oftentimes you got to chase them a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know how uh, they, do you know how if you, you catch the sturgeon on the Canadian side, you know how you can tell? The sturgeon, no, are, they're wearing little toques. Oh, that's how, you, that's how you can. Thank you very well, much. I do know. I do know that you cannot fish them on the Canadian side at all. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Not that. At all. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? I, what I was where I was going with that is that you know you got to make sure you stay in that U.S. side because it's you know you can't fish that fish at all. So if you get dragged in the Canada side, I I don't want to get into that. But boy, that might not be good. I swear he drugged me over here, officer. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, sturgeon season, even on the U.S. side, is going to close here pretty soon, right? Yeah, you know, sturgeon season goes through May 15th. And uh, I'll tell you right now, um, the sturgeon bite has really picked up. You know, we had a we had a blast of water, you know, between rain, runoff, the two forks opening up and frozen land still. Uh, we had a blast of water pushing through. So it caused some flooding on the Rainy River recently. Um, it's actually filling up our lake nicely, which was well needed. We'd, we'd been low, but a lot of debris and everything went through this last week. and. Most of that's pushed through now. So now we just have a lot of water running. It's still a lot of current. And um, I, I, some of the sturgeon anglers actually that were fishing the traditional holes in the middle of the river were actually using 11 ounce weights, 11 oh. ounces, which is a heavy weight. And you know, some of them caught sturgeon and then some of them said, hey, let's just think out of the box here with all that current. Number one, the food's gotta be ripping through there and not hanging around. Plus, you know, sturgeon, are they really wanna fight that current that much? So they started fishing some eddies and uh, went down to a five ounce weight because there was less current and actually did pretty darn good in the sturgeon. L a lot of sturgeon being caught right now. There's a good bite going on for sturgeon. Yeah, you know, I've seen some pictures and Dan was telling me a little bit about some stories he's heard about uh, the Red River and how much that's flooding and how there, there could be some issues along the Canadian border there and, and northern uh, Minnesota and northeastern North Dakota. Uh, I can imagine the rainy is also pretty high out there. 
Yeah, the rainy, the, you know, like some of the different accesses like Birchdale and Vitus and, and uh, Frontier and stuff, they were flooded for a while there and, uh, they, you know, they dropped some now. But, you know, uh, yeah, so there was a lot of water pushing through and you know, there's a lot of water pushing through up through the lake, too. And that's going to be one of the things that helps deteriorate that ice. I can tell you up at the angle in some of the neck down areas where there's current, um, it's it's open water for the most part up there. And that just spreads then as we get the 60 plus degree days like we are this week. And so, you know what? People always ask, Brett, you know, is Lake of the Woods going to be ice free for the opener? And, you know, right now, I don't know. I'd, I'd flip a coin. But I'll tell you what, as we speak, there is plenty of area to open water fish because with the late spring, we're confident there's going to be, we know there's walleyes in the river. There's going to be walleyes in Four Mile Bay. You know, when you look at a satellite image of Lake of the Woods, you can see where that open water from the river goes way out into the lake. And then you look at the Bostic Creek area over by Morris Point, that water extends way out in the lake. So there's going to be a lot of places to open water fish. There you go. Whether, um, regardless of, of if the whole lake is ice free or not, and those walleyes are going to be really concentrated in those areas, it should be good. Plus, you know, I think it's kind of neat because the fact that there's still um, walleyes in the river, well, that makes it nice for somebody with a 14 or 16 foot boat. You know, you can go up to one of the river accesses, that's small water. You know, anybody can fish that. Yeah, yeah, like my boat. <laughs> well, yeah, or, or even a kayak. I mean, you know. Oh, sure. And, yeah. I, and I, you got to be careful. I don't want to. I don't want everybody to think that. Oh, let's go up and fish the ice cold water of the Rainy River with a whole bunch of current in a kayak. You got to know what you're doing. You got to have safety precautions. You know, no, you know. You, let's be realistic here. But I guess my point is, if you do have a 14 or 16 foot boat and didn't have a, a, a solid place to go for the opener, tell you the Rainy River could be a nice spot for you. Yeah, you know what? And I think it's kind of neat to fish out of a kayak, and I applaud the guys that do it. It's not e an easy thing to do, uh, and you do have to be very careful about it. And I grew up, you know, taking trips to the Boundary Waters or taking canoe trips to different places and fishing out of canoes. But I'll tell you what, I'm I'm all about fishing out of boats these days. Like uh, I just I like having my electronics. I like having space in the boat. I like uh, having the safety of uh, of a bigger boat. I just I'm I, I like having a motor if I need to get up and move and go somewhere, whether it's it's another place to fish or maybe it's uh, getting away from a storm or whatever the case may be i like having a boat you know i uh, I, I use a boat i will say kayaks the popularity of kayak fishing has gotten really really big and people that do it just love it yeah the one thing i would say is that it, it might be a little bit different too um if you're not an expert expert you know fishing when the water's warmer versus fishing right now when the water's still ice cold mm, yeah absolutely well the openers uh, not far away looking forward to it i know uh, some of the other lakes are starting to open up uh just a little bit and fishing of course this everybody gets excited it's an annual tradition it's like a holiday uh i know uh mother's day sometimes gets overshadowed by the opening of fishing it's a big deal for the state of minnesota and there was a recent meeting uh that minfish put on uh to kind of put an exclamation point on that fact didn't they well, it's interesting because this is one of the few years that Mother's Day is not on the fishing opener. The mother, Mother's Day is a weekend before, so that won't conflict. But yeah, so, you know what? Uh, I just attended a, a Min Fish meeting, Brett, down at the Clam headquarters in Rogers, Minnesota. And, you know, it was really, uh, really a, a great meeting. Um, they, uh, the governor actually showed up, Governor Walls, and they had uh, Commissioner Steve Grove. You know, we had um, uh, Sarah Stroman, the commissioner of the DNR. We had Laura Bennett McGinty. Um, 
who's a head of Explore Minnesota Tourism, and really some uh, very influential people in our state attended this meeting, which was wonderful because they were there and we were all talking about fishing in Minnesota. A lot of stakeholders from the fishing industry, of course, were there, some media, and uh, a good meeting, Brett. I think whenever you're talking fishing about Minnesota and, and such, it's good. Yeah, it is absolutely good. And I know Ron Shera was there and he, he criticized some things about uh, the DNR. And according to this article that I'm reading, he was criticizing the DNR for um, not investing in things like uh, boat ramps and fish hatcheries. And I'll have I have some criticisms of the DNR, and I think those are, are valid criticisms, too. But I'm glad that Stroman and, and Walls and some of these other people were there because I think it's I think the DNR, for the most part, appreciates fishing and knows what it means for the state. I think at times their hands are tied by the legislature a little bit. And I, I think those are the people and uh, some of the people maybe that control the DNR are from from different places in the Minnesota government need to be uh, need to need to put fishing more at the forefront of their decision making and that's just my personal opinion of course we don't uh, I'll say this yeah so Ron Ron share was basically commenting about uh, uh, the lack of money being put into our our infrastructure when it comes to boat ramps and fish hatcheries and stocking efforts in, in Minnesota and you know uh, um, so, you know, MinFish is an organization, by the way, that they're all about creating a quality fishing opportunity within the state of Minnesota. And the two initiatives they are after this year are primarily uh, increasing the number of boat ramps in Minnesota and also creating, you know, uh, helping the infrastructure and ultimately, um, you know, stocking programs within Minnesota. You know, our uh, they showed charts that showed the, the amount of money that's been invested in our uh, hatcheries in Minnesota. And they are, there's been not very much invested at all for a number of years. So, you know, uh, Governor Wallace made the comment that, you know, we get ratings for the state of Minnesota. And, you know, if you wanna get a high star rating, you need to invest in your infrastructure. That's one of the things that's important they look for. So. That, that's that's the road the men fish was going after and and really um, Brad Parsons of the Minnesota DNR I don't want to speak for Brad but he did answer a lot of the questions and his perspective is you know stocking is really really good in some situations but not in all it's not a it's not a you know, silver bullet per se and th so there are some differences of opinion when it comes to how often we stock when we stock where we stock you know, the, the the topic about pike came up eating the the fry when you stock them, I and it it went a number of different places. But but it was a good discussion, and it was yeah. a respectful discussion. And you know, that's sometimes you know uh, you know this, Brett. You know, as long as people are respectful and they're willing to take a deep breath and listen to other people's perspectives and understand why they have those perspectives, you know, that can certainly lead to some some commonality and you know even if if the, the from my perspective men fish and the minnesota dnr they might not agree on anything i'm sorry on everything but there are some things that are some commonalities and maybe they could start working on those yeah absolutely and of course uh you always hear the discussion of introducing more kids or getting more youth involved and it sounds like uh there weren't a lot of young people there so uh whoever men fish or whoever uh maybe needs to reach out and get uh, get some younger some younger generations not saying you need to have younger 
perspectives necessarily every time, but it's, it certainly helps when you're talking about the, the viability of the, the future of fishing in Minnesota. You need to include the next generation in some of these things. But I'm glad that they did that. Uh, it sounded like it was good. And maybe this, this meeting needs to happen annually because it was, a, it was what, a state of, state of fishing in Minnesota, the first Minnesota fishing summit. So maybe this is going to be an annual thing. So I think that's great. Uh, Minfish, I, I really like the fact that that organization came about and want to want to be a part of it and do some more with it. So I'm glad that this happened. And Joe, uh, we'll let you get back here. But if people want to learn more about coming up for the opener or do some doing some fishing at Lake of the Woods this summer, what should they do? Yeah, you know what? Hey, our Facebook page is real active, Lake of the Woods Tourism. Otherwise, and our Instagram, of course. Otherwise, check out our website. And that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Now we're going to head up to Ottertail Lakes Country to check in with Eric Osberg and Willie, it sounds like, pretty soon as well, too. Eric, I, pre- I appreciate you jumping on the show while you have to go to school. Go- are you going to school to pick up Willie? Is that right? Yep, I, I, uh, I got to pick up the boy. So uh, it, it's a really nice day here. So I, if we get our yard work done, maybe we can go actually put the boat in the water. There, there's lakes that are open, so we got some chores we got to do around the house, but but maybe we'll get out on the water later tonight. That's good news because everybody's been worried about lakes being ice-free by the opener, but it sounds like uh, we're on a pretty good track right now. Yeah, there's, I, I have I, I have no way of knowing countywide out of the 1,048 lakes, which ones are or are not open, but I can tell you that 10 Mile Lake, which is south of Fergus Falls, it opened like a week and a half ago clitheral lake which is which is just south of battle lake that was open i think the tuesday when i drove by uh clitheral was open i was i was by there you go may 2nd clitheral I, i'm not saying it opened on that day but that's what it looked like on that day uh, uh battle west battle i was there today and there was just a little bit of dark ice kind of on you know a big sheet of ice that you know it's I, I called it seventy three percent open. Um, it's it's sixty. You know, it's almost sixty degrees right now, and um, I, I imagine by opener, we'll be a hundred percent open every lake everywhere. The, the bad news is that doesn't leave us a lot of time to get our docks in. Folks that have docks, right? Like it's going to be a, a really tight window to get uh, to get ready. But at least you'll be able to get your boat in the water and go off, go fishing. What sort of device do you use? to get a 73% <laughs> ice out measurement. Have you ever heard of swag? Swag. Uh, uh, yeah, a scientific wild blank guess. S W A T. That's a swag. That's a swag estimate. Here comes here comes Willie. Willie, we're on the we're on the video so you can Harold. You can say hi. There he is. Hey Willie, how you doing? Um, What'd you learn in school so it today? Was, it, was a swag. it was a it was a scientific wild blank uh, guess, uh, right. but it, it it was more than half, uh, but but less than you know more than half, but less than full. So seventy three percent. Well, I'm excited to do some fishing 
on that 73% of the lake that's open or wherever. Honestly, I want to go fish wherever you recorded that video the other day that had all those walleyes in it. Can I just go fish there? Is that is that allowed or? Well, come opener, you, you could, yes. That, that video, uh, that's the Walker Lake Fish Hatchery. Um, it is on the Dead River. What, what I would call, it's upstream of Walker Lake. So, so as you know, uh, when you were up here, you stayed on Dead Lake and uh, for the opener last year. And so there's a river that runs from Dead Lake to Walker Lake and then eventually to Ottertail Lake. And so that's, that's video was taken on the Dead River at the Walker Lake Fish Hatchery. And, and, uh, I, I, I've say, I say this every year, but it's it's one of my favorite things to do in the world is to go to the walleye fish hatchery and uh, and to see all those fish. It just it makes my heart go bitter batter, and uh, it reminds me that there's still there's still plenty of fish to be caught. Oh man! And just how cool is it? just to be able to see those big walleyes i mean when you when you showed that one dan that could barely fit in the net there where it was kind of coming out of the net a little bit that's it it's just neat to see even if you're not fishing for them or catching them it's just neat to see them increased my heart rate yeah yeah and and when you see it in, and when you see it in person it's just a whole different level right like you know you, you you look into the pen and you see those little white tips on the tails and you're like oh yeah that's a lot of walleyes and then and then those bigger ones start to, to emerge or show themselves or you spot them and you're like, oh my gosh. And, and, they're, and they're all full of, of either milt or, or eggs. And so they're extra big, right? Like they're, they're all pumped up. So, a, you know, a 26 inch walleye looks like a, an 11 pound walleye just because it's so, so girthy. Um, so yeah, I, I'd highly recommend anybody out there who, you know, put it on your calendar for next year. Um, these are, it may be up north. There might be some opportunities still further up north. Um, but going to a walleye hatchery in the spring is, is once you've done it, I would argue you'll probably want to do it again. Gosh, look at all those fish. Yeah. It's fun. If you're listening on the radio right now, you should really be watching the show on <laughs> Facebook or YouTube. It is uh, eye candy for anglers, particularly in Minnesota who love big walleyes. I went and filmed a story at uh, did the same kind of deal where we went and filmed them uh, stripping walleyes, milking them, and and getting them. Getting oh man, look at that! And there was a couple of big fish, and I was like, "Can I just can I just hold one up for the camera?" <laughs> that's that's a bigger fish than the one I've caught. So, did they let you? Yeah, they did let me. They're like, all right, just be careful with it. Take one picture. And uh, so I did. And I, you know, I didn't say I caught the fish or anything. I explained right. what the picture is from, but it was just neat to be able to hold one of those fish like that. And we wanted to show one to the audience. So we picked one up and held it for the camera. So, but. And I, I, I think it's a great way to, uh, for kids, you know, a lot of, a lot of schools will do field trips and stuff like that. But if, if you, if you, if you're able to make time to just take your kid and, and there was a couple, two, three years ago when, you know, Willie was probably 10 and it was a slow day. Like there wasn't a big crowd there, whatever. And, you know, and so Willie started by laying on the dock and just trying to touch the fish. And, and eventually uh, they were like handing him, you know, so when they're sorting the fish, they, they like handed him a huge carp and they're like, here, let this one go. You know, oh, so they didn't, they didn't cool. handle the, you know, but so he got a little hands on and, you know, we went home and he was soaked head to toe and he had fish slime all over him. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a normal occurrence, but in that particular setting and circumstance, 
to your point, there, you know, they, you know, there couldn't be uh, an intimate level of learning, I guess, is what I would call it. Well, what a great way to help get kids into interested in fishing and, and the outdoors too. Yeah. It's so visual. It, you know, kids are visual, I, you know, kids are visual learners, right? They're looking at their phone, they're looking at their iPad. And if you can put real life stuff in front of their eyes, hopefully they, they, uh, they get engaged. Well, I sure felt like a kid holding that walleye that day. It's a pretty, pretty neat thing to see. And, uh, so that was something the public could come and check out. Yep. It's, it's open to the public. They do recommend if you can call ahead, you know, they have a number listed on their website. You know, if you're going to, especially if you're going to bring a group of kids or something like that, if you want a tour of the facility, you know, call ahead, you can make a reservation. Again, this is future tense because it's kind of behind us now, but, um, you know, every morning people just kind of show up and you do, you do have to kind of stay out of their way because they're working, right? They're trying to get a job done. Um, but yeah, the public is invited to come and watch. Um, they, they actually, they have, interestingly enough, they have someone there 24 hours a day, not, mm -hmm. not to accommodate the public, but to protect what it is that they have. Like some, they have, they, they man a post, right? Like somebody's there making sure that nobody's messing with whatever it is they got going on. So, um, and, 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 you know, and the, it's a, it's a morning activity. They, they get in the, you know, they get in the water 9am ish and they're done sorting and stripping and fertilizing by like 10 30 or 11. So if you show up in the afternoon, you're just going to kind of see the after, um, I don't want to call it aftermath, but, but you'll see the, you know, the, the eggs and the tumblers and then the percolators and the incubators. So there's always something I, again, if you're a fish head, there's, there's something, some, something interesting for you. Oh yeah. And that's, they're like little bars of gold with fins swimming around. There's yeah, a, lot of money, yeah. a lot of money yeah, in that so stocking program. Yeah. So there you're looking at the, at the DNR website. Um, yeah, a lot of the information is, and it, you know, in my experience, and, and, and maybe I have a, a, a biased uh, perception here, but in my experience, the DNR that I've worked with have been very transparent about everything they do. You know, you, you, you show up at one of those things and they'll, they'll show you, they'll explain to you, they'll walk you through it. They'll, you know, I had some coworkers there the other morning and um, it was their first time. And, and, and the, the, the DNR staff took the time to explain and, you know, I, to a, like, I don't want to say they over explain, but I was like, come on, let's go look at some fish. Let's not stand here in the, in the building and look at the eggs. Let's go look at some fish. But in, in my experience, the, the DNR has been very accommodating to, to educate and to, and to let the public be involved. Yeah, that's great. Well, where can people see that video or learn more about Otter Tail Lakes Country? Well, we've got that video up on our social medias, or they can go to ottertaillakescountry.com. Eric Osberg, thank you very much. Thank you. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.